You're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Rebecca. I'm Lauren. And I'm Christine. In today's Her Hack, we will be learning about how to break into a career in cybersecurity with InfoSexy, who's also known as Stacy. And without further ado, Stacy, if you could take it away and tell us about who you are and a little bit about your background. Yeah, that's me. I'm Stacy. And if you couldn't already tell, if you've followed me on Twitter. I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I actually graduated with a degree in fine arts. I have my associates. And like any artist, you know, I was like, hey, I'm going to pursue a job in information security and become a solutions engineer. Yay. <laughs> this is kind of my like formal one that I usually say when I introduce myself. So I know it's not like a real thing, but I like to think that my quote unquote right brain approach gives me a really interesting edge when I'm troubleshooting or solving complex problems, which is a really, really nice way of saying that I'm well-versed in improvisation. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm not helping organizations become more educated and secure whilst working in the wonderful world of CyberSec, I create art, illustrations, and pre-pandemic, I was running my own charitable video game art show known as Artcade. And aside from that, I do powerlifting, and I was a former bodybuilding competitor and a very tongue-tied today. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I see the adjustable weights in your background and I'm like incredibly envious because that was like the one thing I wanted to find in 2020 when everybody went remote. And it took me like nine months to be able to find them. Obviously I don't use them. If you're looking at me, you're like, hmm, probably don't use them, but Lauren, I'm, I'm very jealous uh. <laughs> of them. They were really nice to have. We had them pre-pandemic. Like luckily we got them pretty much right before that happened. And it was just like, oh goodness, we're so thankful. <laughs> well, we're really excited to have you. Awesome, thanks. Honey's excited too. Probably heard her give a little bark in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we get to do our icebreakers and we have two truths and one lie. So we asked Stacy to prepare some icebreakers for us to guess. And I think that this is gonna be more even than our previous competitions that we've had because- we all are equivalently acquainted to Stacy. <laughs> we don't know you. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know you. That's that's very fair. Sometimes I don't even know me. So, <laughs> well, in the past, I've always had like a very unfair advantage because I'd be like, "Here's my friend." <laughs> yeah, and then I always lose, but it's fine. Oh, so do you do you want me to go with the thing? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. All right, so it took me a while to really think of something that I thought could work for this. So I'm going to start. You know, here's here's the three things, and you can guess. Number one, I have zero certifications. Number two, I've had a coworker call the police on me before. Number three, at one point, it was my job to look at porn sites. And we're going to all guess, and we're going to all say our guesses before you tell us what it is. Well, I was going to say, I think, oh, wait, oh, yeah, two truths and a lie. Oh, wait, I, sorry, I messed up. I was going to say, <laughs> can I go last? <laughs> I, I, I was thinking it was two. I thought they were all true. And now I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, crap. I totally, I totally failed then. Are they all true? I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this. Man. And this is why I was going to say, yes, you have zero certifications. And I was going to pick that one. And then I was like, wait, but that one. That's what I was going to pick, too. I was going to pick that one, too. No, because listen. (laughs) I completely messed this up. I I 
Yeah, Wait, this I'm is so great sorry. Because <laughs> they're all true. And I think we all thought they were all true. Yeah. Or did, we were, uh, did we all think they were all true? The only one that was like, I was like, maybe there's one certification. But looking at the co-worker calling the police and looking at porn, I was like, those are... No, like, I did Those lie. have to be true, you know? Listen, I've had to do that. No, mm-hmm. I've had to do that at work because I used to work in a sock. And so like, I would have to do like, URL query on like different links that my coworker, well, not my coworkers, but people in my, my office Wait, were yeah. using. Because your coworkers so were looking porn. at porn. And I'm just like, <laughs> like sometimes because, because I mean, yeah, there's like suspicious internet activity or you get like malicious stick like, downloads or like just drive by downloads. And it's a lot of times it's from porn sites. So like you'll, you'll go to the original link and then what they were redirected to and they were looking at porn and it's just like, yeah, yeah. Is that like a catch 22? Cause would somebody be like, oh, I wasn't looking at it. I was reviewing it for my job. <laughs> no, because you review it like in a sandbox. You don't like review it. Like I'm not like going to the link myself. Technically, now that I really think about it, one of them is sort of Eli-ish, but also sort of true because the certification I have isn't globally accredited or anything like that. It was like an internal like company certification. So okay. to be fair, <laughs> I'm a double, I'm a double so liar. liar where I... <laughs> misunderstood the directions and completely fumbled, but then it ended up being true. So sorry I ruined the game, Love it. but those are all fun. (laughs) Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I went to a murder mystery party and I didn't realize until three quarters of the way through that I was the murderer. So... Like was actively trying to solve this mystery. And then when the final clue came out, I was like, oh... It's me. I've just gaslit all of my friends. <laughs> and it worked out because, like, I guess I won the game. But, wow, it was really embarrassing. And I had to, like, message the host and be like, I'm the murderer, right? Can we have a murder mystery party? Yes. I want to do that. I think we just bought the kid online. Yeah. That's very me as well. Anywho, sorry about that. But if you want me to talk on the other one too, that's that fun little story about how someone actually did call the police on me. Yes. Yes. I want to hear this story. (laughs) I promise I can follow directions. Just (laughs) anyway. It's okay. I can't. (laughs) To ADHD. I'm an adult with ADHD. I apologize. So I I love that you own it. I do. So I was doing the phishing campaign. I was actually called the spam lady at one of my previous jobs. And I made a phishing email that was, honestly, it was really, really bad, but it was so good that someone thought it was real. And they were like, oh no, I have to call the police immediately. And then I got in trouble for that a little bit, just a smidge, because they were like, all right, listen, like that really, really scared someone and they didn't really know what was going on. Like, cool it a Mm -hmm. little. But to be fair to myself, the domain that I used was like .police.gov.gov or something. And they just, oh no. They're like, don't use .gov anything. That was too confusing for them. And I'm like, all right, that's fair. But yeah, the, the, the phishing email was essentially, I created what looked like a red light camera notification. It was like, hey, you passed this intersection and you owe us money and click here. And the person got so scared that they immediately just called the police. And they're like, oh no, this, I, I got this email and I know it's fake. And, and I had to like call them and be like, hey, you did great. That's exactly what we would want someone to do. But that was fake. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Too good of a response. What is your certification? That's not a real certification. 
So I had this internal certification and I can't, it was like a alphabet soup one. So it was basically their cloud security, like something expert. I can't remember the actual letters right now, but that one was, you had to like take a test and everything. You could use an index. It was like important to them internally. But if I were to tell anyone about it, like just from a general perspective, they'd be like, what's that? So (laughs) nothing against them, but you know. No, that's fine. That was one of the certifications that I had through them. And yeah, you know. And then, of course, did you you have to mention the porn site? Yeah. So whenever I was working at one of my previous jobs, we were using a particular security gateway that the Mm -hmm. application awareness wasn't working on. And it just so happened that one of the C-level guys, he was just like, I'm going to get on this computer and see if I can look up porn for whatever reason. (laughs) Like, it was just like a public facing, like regular computer that they had in a lobby. And he's like, I'm going to dial the security people. Hey, guess what? I can look at porn. And we're like, well, you shouldn't be able to because it's in this rule that says you can't. And then it turns out that the application awareness was like broken for the porn sites mm-hmm. and the tags weren't working. So I had to like, again, yes, yeah, sandbox and test that theory of like, okay, how do we make it not look at porn? And then working <laughs> with a vendor to, you know, uh, send out a patch. So that wasn't a problem. What? Right. Because you're, you're not really supposed to be doing that at work, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. What an interesting thought to be like, hmm, I think I need to check our public computers to make sure people aren't coming into our building and looking at porn. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, there was no precursor that I knew of. There was no like well, problem with took it. Long, took long bathroom breaks. That might have been part of it. I don't, yeah, I don't wait, is that like code that. for looking at porn? Because I like to just Lauren. sit on the toilet for a while. I don't know if that's to me why we can cut that out. But like, it's like, that's how I get my personal breaks in the day. Nobody can find me. There are not enough women that anybody else is in there. Like sweet innocent Lauren. <laughs> I thought the show was all ages, Rebecca. <laughs> it is. You can mention this. Hey, every, yes. everybody poops. Everyone likes to sit on the toilet just a little longer. Right. I get it. Yeah, it's the one place you can't be bothered unless you have a dog <laughs> or a cat. That's why I don't close my door because there's always the pause or like the sigh or the whining on the outside of the door. <laughs> I get it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it's an animal, not your partner. Yeah, no, he like <laughs> so with him. It's funny because I will leave the door open and he that's not his style, like for, for his own personal thing. But yeah, my favorite thing to do in situations like that is like, please make eye contact with me. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, no, leave me. And he just doesn't. Yeah. This, this got off the rails, but uh, that's really good. <laughs> I love this. So Rebecca and Christine, how did you guys find Stacy so that we could do this interview today? So Rebecca and I interviewed Tracy, shout out Tiny Carnivore on Twitter, who's another amazing woman in cybersecurity. And she's really into check that episode out. Yeah, that episode's amazing. So she's really into fitness and bikini competitions. She's also like really awesome embedded exploitation engineer. And on our last episode, we asked her, hey, who's some other women in cybersecurity that we should follow on Twitter. And she mentioned InfoSexy. And so obviously we immediately followed. And then I think it was like a week later, it was like very shortly after Stacy had started tweeting about how she got into cybersecurity. And I was like laughing out loud reading this Twitter thread. I loved her story. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be her friend. I want to meet her. She has to go on this podcast. So I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like in her DMs in like two minutes. (laughs) Well, so what is the story? What is this hilarious uh, tale? Yeah. So 
I actually did talk about this on our podcast, Joe Sullivan and I, uh, CISO Dojo. We did a similar thing where it's like, okay, we want to hear how people got in because it's this elusive thing. Like, how do you get into cybersecurity? A lot of things are very gatekept and it can be very difficult to get in, as we all know. My story, I like to tell it because it's kind of a, hey, you know, not only should you be more open to different types of backgrounds, but how these different types of backgrounds can really benefit cybersecurity. So mine in particular, if I start really, really early, just as from an interest standpoint, when I was young, I always liked the quote unquote, you know, boy toys or or whatever. And I don't mean it by like the standard terms because that means something else now, like boy toys versus girl toys. So, you know, I mean like Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe and computers and video games and, and all of that. I didn't really like Barbies or like those little cooking sets or things like that too much. I still can't cook to this. Yeah. So <laughs> I had the, the I had that, but it all turned out bad. It was like pudding. Ooh. <laughs> and I liked the creepy crawler bug machine better. Oh, my sister. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one thing that we were thinking about, because I did listen to your your story on your podcast and it was so good. And you mentioned that you have a brother. I did. So my brother passed last year. Oh, but I'm so sorry. No, it's 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 okay. It's It's funny because it wasn't really because of his influence or anything like that. I kind of realized at a really young age that At that time, I didn't really want to be associated with feminine stuff either, Mm -hmm. because it's like, even as a young child, I could tell like that had a negative connotation to it. And the things that I wanted and the respect that I wanted was more aligned with like these male centric things or these male activities. And they did happen to be the things that I was interested in. So from a really, really young age, I was super interested in computers. And that's kind of where it all started. I... Like my dad kind of taught me like, don't ever delete FAT32 and really basic things like that. And then it went into, all right, so how do I use IRC? How do I use the internet? How do I navigate this new world? And then around the 2000s, I'm sure you're all very familiar with LimeWare. That's when I really started to get into the security aspect of it. Oh, are you talking about LimeWire and like, quote unquote, peer-to-peer programs? Yeah, like P2P. Yeah, P2P programs like LimeWire, Napster, because it all started out where it was this kind of competition between me and my dad, where he put, we had, I don't remember, I think it was Earthlink or some old ISP, where he had this, I'm going to password protect the internet because you don't need to be on there. And then it was like, I raise you a key trap and I'm going to get on there whenever I want because I want to play StarCraft and, you know, download things whenever I want to. So my brother would, he was not very wise when using P2P. So he would see something, for example, like a song, and it would only be a couple of kilobytes. And you could figure out really quickly, that's probably not a full song. And that's probably going to be something malicious. So it'd always be him. Or Monica, it was like the Monica Lewinsky at the time. Yeah, That was like the common, I think, file that people would Mm -hmm. get by accident. Exactly. So it would it would be him downloading something and being like, Stacy, fix it. I don't know what to do. And I would have to like go through and remove everything. So that's kind of where it started, which it kind of carries over into my other hobbies. Like, you know, again, gaming, because I always wanted to play StarCraft online. I wanted to look at Newgrounds videos and play the games. And so it just carried through that. Right. Newgrounds, Newgrounds was like a it was like a flash mm-hmm. kind of games that you'd play. Oh, in yeah. Browser. Like pre-YouTube. This was all on dial-up too. I used to play this game. In like the early 2000s, it was, I think it was Flash. It was Lenny Loosejocks. 
love that game. It was just like, I don't know, there's one was just like, you're kind of like walking around, but the second one, it was like you had to save the world. It's really cool. So it, something interesting you mentioned, Stacey, was you mentioned that like from an early age, we kind of have this, this point that we wrote down that, you know, women are kind of signaled away from tech with like boy toys versus girl toys. And you kind of mentioned that there was like a negative connotation to female toys being feminine, like Barbies and things like that. You said that at a young age, you were able to pick up on that. Can you, can you talk a little bit more like to how, like what were the influences that kind of made you feel that way? Yeah. So it would definitely come from like the societal perception of women, as well as like kind of that typecasting or that coding, like, oh, women aren't smart enough to figure out computers because they have tiny brains or, or whatever it is. Or women aren't into this because it's cool and fun and they just, we're going to give them things that are, that have to do with like reproduction or acting as a like service type role or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like playing house or something. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. Our, we, yeah. All of our toys were like, like, they didn't really make baby dolls geared towards boys. You're never like playing dad, you're only playing mom. And you could get like the G.I. Joe, right, for guys. And that's like, war, violence, yeah, man. And then for the girl, it's like, this is an airline attendant. This is a uh, a cook. Like, I don't think Barbie ever went to school. <laughs> My sister literally had a pregnant Barbie, like a Barbie that had a, like, removable stomach with the baby. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> which, which I will say... Like, it, and it's completely okay if someone does like that. However, at the same time, it's like we, my, I'm of the opinion that like gender roles and stuff like that, let's throw it out the window. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, what you like, those things should be accessible and they shouldn't like try to pigeonhole someone. Right. Well, because I always growing up, so I'm one of three girls and I have any brothers and I always felt like I wasn't allowed to go into the boy toy quote quote, boy toy aisle. And so my older sister was like such a tomboy growing up. And she still even kind of is like, she just isn't really into like wearing skirts and like wearing high heels. Mm -hmm. And like, honestly, now that I'm older, me, (laughs) but I thought she was so brave for like going into the quote boy toy aisle. And I feel like all of the gender neutral toys were also in the boys aisle. So like she got a metal detector which I guess was like a toy but it was in the boys aisle and I was like wow this is so cool so like we used to get in fights growing up because like me and my little sister would always want to play with her cool toys like the rock polishing kit and like just like other like really cool toys that like right like all these things that weren't in the girl aisle and we felt like we were we were too scared to go into the boy aisle and get it because I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there I was going to say, Lauren, another interesting point, because Lauren and I both have brothers. I have two older brothers and Lauren, you have a younger brother. So I feel like if you wanted to talk to that dynamic, like for me, my brothers would get all these like male gear toys that would kind of be hand-me-downed to me. So I was exposed to them. But when it came to like my parents getting me gifts, it was tended to be very like female, your traditional like baby dolls, Barbies, Polly Pockets, that kind of stuff that I really enjoyed playing with. Yeah. No, my parents, actually, they're both teachers. So we got a lot of educational toys and that's not like as nerdy as, or like as boring as it sounds. Like I remember we had this one thing that you had to build this giant like marble shooter and you drop the marble down and like see who could get the marble to the bottom the fastest. And so I feel like from that perspective, we got a lot of gender neutral toys, 
But it wasn't until my brother was older that we started getting video games and things like that. It was like we always had this educational learning purpose and they were very fun. But it was still kind of like he got the fun stuff. Although we all got Game Boys at the same time. Did you initiate getting the Game Boy? Because my older sister was the one who initiated it. And I feel like the name boy in the toy, like it literally is signaling like, hey, this is not for girls. I don't feel like I did, but I also had like the Kim Possible game on it. So it was like, I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was playing as another girl, which like thinking back on it, I loved Kim Possible. I loved Mulan. I loved all of the things where to me, the woman was like driving the action. And I felt like that was so rare. And I, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, that's probably wise because they got to do all of this cool stuff. Oh, yeah. You know what, Stacey, because you mentioned you played StarCraft. Did you ever play any games that were like female heroine type games? Like I know the original Tomb Raider was actually like terrible, like not empowering to men at all. But the current Tomb Raider is amazing. And I, I love that game. And I feel like it's it's really actually very empowering for women. Yeah, so I did. So Tomb Raider was definitely one of them. I really liked the option to be a woman in a game, especially like if you could customize a character or like if there was any sort of character selection, like even playing things like Metal Slug, it's like, yeah, I want to be the woman or, you know, any arcade game. It's like Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I want to be like Melina or something. I love Melina. Yeah. Um, So Cotton Warrior. Yes. I always wanted to be like the strong female character because like, again, it's, it's that perception thing. It's, it's, having society try to like have this very narrow view. And at that time, those characters and that representation was like so just mind blowing. And, and I loved one of my favorite movies growing up was Terminator 2 because of Linda, ha- Linda Hamilton's character. I can't, again, tongue tied today, but you know, just seeing muscles on a woman was so rare. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Like I just I still, it's still one of my favorite movies because I'm just like, this was, for me, that was like a pivotal moment of seeing like, wow, this is a woman that's so strong and she gets to like finagle everyone and she breaks out of the the mental institution and she just gives them the slip. And then she's like, you know, even when she's, that that scene when she's doing pull-ups in her cell, I'm like, oh my gosh. I feel like that's so empowering too for a woman to like have her own agency and to do something because of her own strength and not because she's like seducing a man. Right, not for male attention or for male approval or for the male gaze. Because another key point really is, is women are, we're multifaceted, right? So we can we can like makeup and we can also like lifting weights and computers and playing games. We don't have to be in these little silos. And everything doesn't have to be pink for us to like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that, Christine, because I was, when Stacey, when you were saying like, I could kind of tell there was a stigma I feel like it's because things were pink and growing up, I never wanted to be like, oh yeah, pink is my favorite color. So like I was actively like blue, I love blue and I love green and I do really like those colors. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, I like pink. Like I will wear pink. Pink looks good on me. I'll wear it. Or even, um, I just, I have a little baby niece and trying to find baby clothes for her that aren't pink and don't have unicorns on them is impossible. It's like all of the boy clothes are blue with dump trucks and airplanes and and computers (laughs) and monsters and all of this cool stuff. And girls get unicorns and flowers. 
I mean, nobody wants, I mean, no offense if anybody here loves unicorns. This isn't like a dig on you, but I, like, stop putting your kid in just all these unicorn things or Disney. That's like what your options are. And it's very frustrating. It's like already you're putting this as like, women must fit this fantasy. They can't have real life things. They have to be a princess or they have to be this make-believe character. And it's just incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I, like broaden it, definitely. And, you know, I was the same way. My my favorite color has always been purple, which I don't know is like ironic because it's like the, the mesh between pink and blue, obviously, mm-hmm. where I'm just like, yeah, that's a great color. I've always loved it. And I think it's really interesting. I'd have to like research when this happened, but if I remember correctly, pink actually used to be the quote unquote boys color because it was considered closer to red, which was like strong and powerful and blue was supposed to be soft and demure. And, you know, so there's a time whenever it kind of flip-flopped and they're like, nah, pink is a a quote unquote feminine color. I have no basis in this argument that I'm going to suggest, but I bet it was like Barbie. Maybe oh, not. But Mattel, maybe. Mattel Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Stacey, it's probably something to do with that. Stacey, there's so, a really, really fun fact we want, really want to get into with you is how you worked at GameStop. Oh, yes. So can you talk about going from GameStop to working in IT? Like, how do you how do you do that career change? Yeah, and also just how did you even, like, start working at GameStop? Because I think because I was so, I guess it was conditioned as a child thinking that like video games were like a guy's thing I don't think I've ever even seen a woman like working behind the desk at GameStop and I would also be afraid to go in there as a kid because I was like oh I don't belong here so like we would go to Walmart and Target to buy the games instead Mm -hmm. but can you talk about how you got that job and then also tell that really funny story you know, so I'll start this by saying, allegedly, these things happened. That way we are legally safe. So allegedly, my experience was, and then I will follow it with that. Well, the precursor and talking about like my interests, like comic books, video games, that all plays into my path and how I got into security in general. So yeah, it started at pretty much GameStop because there were technical components to it. You did have to like, you know, do some very light repairs sometimes, or, you know, you'd have to know how some of these systems work. You'd have to be able to hook things up. So it was kind of a foot in the door-ish. And when I first got started at GameStop, I believe it was like late 2011, I interviewed with someone. And honestly, like looking back, I was in my very early 20s at that time. The interview was awful. The hiring manager literally asked me the question, do you plan on getting knocked up anytime soon? Are you on birth control? I am not exaggerating. No, it's not. It's not. It's literally illegal. And I really wanted a job. And that, like, I still had that pipe dream of like, I want to work at GameStop. That'd be so cool. I love video games. So I was just like, uh, no, you know, haha. And that's, that set the tone because that's very much what it was like working there. And like you said, it, there, there were women, just not very many. And it was incredibly hard to get into management. I did start out as like a quote unquote, I know I'm using that term a lot. I started out as a key holder. That's like one of their terms that they use where you're like a shift leader, right? And then I went into being an assistant manager and then being an actual store manager was a constant back and forth battle where I'd get promoted and then demoted and promoted and demoted back and forth because the the district lead, whoever it was at the time, would bring in a friend. And then I would get demoted and I'd have to train them. And then I'd have to train all these other managers. 
So there was a lot of that. And at some point, obviously, with all of this going on, there's a lot of harassment and all of these other things that happened. I decided that I was fed up. I didn't want to cry myself to sleep at night anymore. And one of the times that I was a store manager, I had to do what's called a store reset, which is where someone will come in and they'll like redo everything, like your cabinets, your counters, your floors. And whenever GameStop does this, they will hire, allegedly, the you know least, what's the word I'm looking for? The cheapest contractors, right? Which... Whenever the networking guy came in, he was wearing sweatpants and a muscle shirt and like socks with sandals. And he just, so I didn't know that was him at the time. He just walks in. A shoebie. Yeah, he, he walks in and he's like serving, like looking around and kind of casing the place a little bit. Just some older gentleman. And I'm like, hey, buddy, you need any help? And he like kind of ignores me at first and then finally comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'm your networking contractor. I'm going to come in and I'm going to do like the wiring and make sure that your, you know, your POS system is all connected properly and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come in on this day. I was just coming in here to spec things out. And I like checked his ID and it was him. And I made sure to call the place to verify. It's like, yeah, this is the person. And I was like, holy butts, that is the person where, again, wearing sweatpants, like, you know, no, no, nothing against that. But I was just like, here's this guy working in IT, wearing what he wants to wear, doing what he wants to do. I want to be more like that. (laughs) And I took this information home to my current partner and I had said those things. And his name is Hockey, by the way, H-A-W-K-E-Y. He is the love of my life and he's amazing. Uh, He was like, no, you really should. You should go into tech. Because I told him all this and I'm like, hey, that makes me want to go into tech. And he's like, absolutely. You're so good at troubleshooting. I've seen you do this. You know more than some of the people on the help desk at my work. I've seen you connect your computer to the network and use the printer. You've like, you do all your drawing stuff with your tablets. And he's like, I've never really had to help you with anything. I think you can do it. Please go do it. He's like, if you want to quit, quit, go back to school. I'll help support you, which I ended up doing. That's so awesome. It's so, it's so helpful to have a supportive partner. Yes, absolutely. And, oh, go ahead. I I felt like there was a question. I just wanted to kind of interject. So Stacey, would you say that you had like a, a natural aptitude or was it more so that you just had a genuine curiosity with the technology that you were working with that gave you this, this advantage? So I'd say it's a little bit of both. I've always had the interest and I've always been able to kind of figure things out or think about things in a way. Yeah, like it's troubleshooting. And this is what I will say to people that are looking to get in, because I often hear you'll have someone that comes from a different type of area like retail or maybe they come from healthcare or, or somewhere else. It doesn't matter. So as long as you have a troubleshooting mindset, as long as you are willing to solve problems and continue learning, the rest of it is just a variable. So there was, this is just a a quick tangent, but for example, I was talking to someone on Twitter and I don't remember who it was, so my apologies for that, but they basically said, my wife is a former psychologist or therapist or something and wants to get back into the workforce. She is interested in getting into technology, but doesn't think that any of our skills are transferable. And my response to him was, psychology is just human troubleshooting. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and when you think of it from that really broad perspective, it, that's what I mean whenever I say that we have to be more open to these different backgrounds and these different experiences. So I think that having that thought process and having these interests kind of like really did a good job of prepping me for this type of role. And I mentioned earlier, I have ADHD, so I'm neurotypical too. And when I was a kid, I was the kid that always asked the questions and I always wanted to know how things worked. And I would always be like, hey, that's not fair because of this or like that rule doesn't make sense. And I always wanted to know the details or the reason why behind things. And I think that I honestly believe anyone can be in tech, especially people that have those general qualities and curiosities and and thought processes. Something that I, I love about you is that you mentioned when you're working in retail at this store that sometimes you would get male customers come in and they would just walk out because they're like, oh, a man isn't working. And instead of being crushed or demoralized by that, like you were like, no, you know what? I do belong here and I'm going to go one step further and start working in IT. So that's like, that's really cool because I feel like I let things get to me and I would just be so like, like, I just love that. I love that you were like, no, I belong here. And you just like took it even further. Thank you. Well, can I, can I ask, like, do you, what would be the difference do you think between someone who would maybe look at it the way that Christine would look at it, which is probably the way that I would look at it versus like, what gave you the confidence in believing in yourself? Do you think it was like outside influences or just how you were raised or nature versus nurture kind of, kind of question, if you have any insights? It's so many different things because I think that that is also a completely valid reaction to it because it's the way that my therapist, because I talk about this kind of thing a lot with my, with my therapist and, uh, you know, on International Women's Day this year, it's just recently, I love it. And I think it's a great thing, of course. And I don't want to sound like I'm being negative about it, but this year I just had like, I don't know, I felt really demoralized personally. So I think this is a good time to talk about it because I'm like, I'm seeing the same topics and I'm seeing the same conversations and we're having all of these laws coming out that are like so divisive and against like trans individuals and women and like bodily autonomy and things like that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm exhausted from just existing and like realizing that all of these things are just still happening. And then the thing that she said was, it's okay to step back and let someone else take the helm. And then you can fight again whenever you feel ready and recharged. And I think knowing that or like understanding that is is a good thing because sometimes you do have to take a break and you can't always fight and be the person that's like leading and that's completely okay. And for the people that do take the, like that sort of, well, I'm a bit demoralized or I'm, I'm not feeling good about this is to encourage them despite that too. Because again, any reaction to misogyny or harassment or any of those things is valid. And you should do what's safest and most comfortable for you. Because there will be people that will fight that and take on that sort of role. To kind of summarize, like what, what I'm hearing you say is no matter how you feel, it's valid. Yes. And the the difference was maybe at the time at your, with your circumstances, you were in a good place where you could respond to that adversity in a way where you could kind of just let it in one ear, out the other, yeah. like roll off your back and say, you know, I, I want to do what I want to do. And I'm just going to do it for, like, despite, 
Yeah, yeah. And in, our, in the industry, a lot of it too is just I have a very high proclivity or inclination to be, and this is a personal thing, to just be like, oh, yeah. I'll show you or, <laughs> or, you know, the, the kind You're of, fiery. yeah, yeah. That's a tenacity. Yeah. I have, I have tenacity and I, Tenacious. again, I've always had that sort of like, I guess a very strong moral compass where I, it's not really black and white thinking or anything like that. I'm sure you can tell, but it's more of a, Hey, that's not fair. I'm going to show you what's fair. So I, any, anytime I see a rule or again, anything that doesn't make sense to me, it's like, that's nah, nah, I'm not going to listen to that. And that was kind of my, oh, okay, I know I need to break this mold and break this convention because all of this is incredibly unfair. And the more people that do this, the better it's going to get for everyone. Wow, I relate to that a lot, especially like growing up. Like I grew up in a very small town in a small community and where I went to school, it was majority boys, like 75% guys, 25% female. Wow. Well, it took me a second to do the math there. And that was part of like the school. It was a boarding school. So it was like boys were boarders, but girls were just like the local girls. And that was something that was so frustrating for me was like, you're just always around guys. You just, that's who you compete with. And like, you know, I, I was a rower in high school and through college a little bit. And like going out there and being like, I, I started the team and that was something that was so frustrating. It was like, I have to prove that I'm oh. here all of the time. And I think that's what kind of was like pushed me into engineering. Cause for a long time, I thought I was going to be a writer because I wrote a book in high school and it's complete trash uh, <laughs> because I was 16 and didn't know anything, but it was like, well, I know I'm smart. So let's like push this. Let's see. Let me try to like go out there and push myself and compete and like really test myself. So I feel like hearing that in your story, it really speaks to me and reminds me a little bit of like when I was younger. Yeah. And to, and to carry the story on. So I, I I did end up quitting GameStop. I had the best resignation letter ever. I actually created this graphic design thing of Sonic the Hedgehog um, and put them in a little logo and made it look like one of the episodes or like the, the uh, level like transitional screens, like, you know, with the bright red and the blue and the yellow. And I uh, wrote this thing out telling the the district manager that I was going to, quote unquote, follow my rainbow, which is a, from Sonic Adventure 2, I believe. There's a song <laughs> that they say. Anyway, so. That's epic. I love that. <laughs> went out with a blaze there. And then I went back to school because I had gotten my associates in fine arts. So that's basically just painting and design and stuff like that. Went back to school and I went for management information systems. Simultaneously, I got a job at a teller, or sorry, as a teller at a bank. And then I also did a work study through the school. And it was in their help desk department. Whenever I was talking to the advisor, I told them that I wanted to get into management information systems. I wanted to get a minor in information assurance, which is a subset of information security. The advisor said to me, that's not really something that women do. <sighs> so again, it was just like, uh, yeah, but I'm gonna. So I started- I love that. I love that because my therapist said something to me that actually doesn't really resonate with me and kind of makes me a little mad. She said- I, I also complain about InfoSec and just the industry a lot. And she's like, why do you think that you would be an exception 
And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess I always thought if I worked really, really hard and proved myself, everyone just treat me like I'm a man too, but I guess not. So I love that, like, somebody told you something, like, women don't do this, and you're like, but they do. And you just, I freaking love that about you. That is a good point, though. With Like, I see the both sides of that because I say that to women that play into misogyny. It's like, why do you think you're going to be an exception? As soon as you say no, they're going to treat you like any other woman. And I get it from that standpoint. But there needs to be, it doesn't, the exception part doesn't need to exist. And that's what we're trying to get at. So I'll leave that part at that. (laughs) (laughs) So Stacey, you were a bank teller at the bank. You were in school. Yeah, I was a bank teller. And what I did was when I first interviewed at the bank, when I was applying for that teller position, I told the interviewing managers, which was like the lead teller. And then I think the, I can't remember her title specifically, but she was basically on the banking side. (laughs) And I told them, hey, I'm interested in getting into IT and information security. Is that something I could eventually do here? And they were both like, absolutely. We have people that do that and they work upstairs. That would be really cool. I was only a teller for like four or five months. What happened was, the lead teller happened to see that there was an opening. And this is while, you know, again, I'm working concurrently at the school. I'm going to school. And she brought it up to me. And it was on my day off. She texted me. And she's like, hey, I just saw this open up. I've been, like, watching it. And they're here interviewing now. And I, I like, went and I printed off my resume. I put it on really nice paper. I put it in this binder. And then I came up to them. And the, the hiring managers for IT when they were on a break. And I was like, please, can you, can you interview me? <laughs> and then they the did. Uh, they said, yeah, <laughs> basically. And they did. And it was like that same day. They're like, yeah, if you want to come back and like, we're, we're going to go to lunch. And if you want to come back in like an hour, then we'll go ahead and interview you. They did it on the spot. Uh, I heard back on Monday that I had gotten it. So then I was full time in the, on their help desk, which it didn't pay that great, but it was still a really great start. Whenever I got to help desk, they asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in information security. They're like, oh, don't you want to be in applications? Wouldn't that be cool? I was like, no, I want to be in information security. That's what I want to do. So whenever I had realized I was going to get a full-time job, I told my work study, which again, I'd only been there for like five or six months. I was like, hey, thanks for all the fish. You guys are great, but I have a full-time job now. I can't do school and this and that all together. That's too much. And they said, we understand you were cool. See you later. From there, I'm working at this bank and on help desk full-time, like 40, 45 hours a week, because we did have like a rotation for on-call. And I started to just solve security tickets or really try to, because that's where I wanted to be. One of the things, I won't go too into it just for the sake of time, but one of the things was this big mystery that no one could figure out. And I ended up realizing what the problem was. I informed the CISO, who was my podcast co-host, and we've remained friends in all of that. And this was kind of my first soiree into meeting him and talking to him and saying, hey, I found this problem. Look at this. And him being like, oh, wow. That's that's incredible. Like no one could figure this out. So after that happened, he ended up interviewing me 
and I was his information security analyst because he was a team of one. Like there was a security group, but when it came to like the actual department and how the jobs were, he was the only person in security, quite technically, aside from the CISO that was leaving. So I ended up getting that role and I did that you know, coinciding with him. And we ended up bringing in one other person for, I did that for about, I think it was like a year and a half, two years, something like that. I'm really bad with time. The vendor that we worked with, I ended up getting contacted by them because I worked with them so frequently. They, I had a really great rapport with them. And when a position opened up to be a security engineer, I went on and did that. So I did that for a year and a half. I built up my technical acumen and security skills in that time. I went on to work at an application development security company. And now I am at an educational security company that is, I don't know how to say this. It's a really big deal. And I'm super stoked and excited. I've only been here for about a month now. So that's, that's been my journey. All right. Yeah. I I loved hearing your story again, Stacey. I think it's so inspiring and it's just really funny, like hearing all of the things that you went through to get into cybersecurity. And so I'd love to talk about some of the ways we can get other people into cybersecurity. And we have some things in this list here that we can talk about. A lot of it is actually uh, from listening to your CISO Dojo podcast episode talking about your background. So I definitely want everyone listening to this podcast to go check out Stacy's full story of her background on that because that's such a funny story. So yeah, I think something that you touched on here is the importance of networking because I think that each one of your roles that you got came from, you know, you talking to people and being curious, but then also like talking to people and kind of saying what you want. You're like, no, I do want to work at the help desk. No, I do want to work in cybersecurity. No, I do want to work in information security, even though people told you otherwise. And so you kind of worked your way, starting as a bank teller, into information security, which is like just so interesting. Yeah, definitely. I see it the, the advice that I typically give is, yes, networking is very important. And I did touch on it earlier, too. We had that whole conversation about your skills are transferable, whether you believe it or not. There are always different ways that you can provide your perspective or add value to something. So I make sure to let people know that. And whenever you see an open role or something like that, I've noticed this about women particularly because we're kind of conditioned to not believe in ourselves as much. And if we don't think we match something with 110% confidence, we have a tendency in a lot of cases to be like, ah, oh, that's, I, I don't, I, you know, it's imposter syndrome to some degree. And I think it's different when it comes to women, just because there's more intersecting societal aspects on top of that imposter syndrome that influence it. Because I don't think it's just that. It's also, again, that kind of inherent misogyny or sexism that we're, we've been accustomed to. And if we don't feel that we're that 110% confident, we have a tendency to be like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And it can be daunting. It can be daunting to know that that exists in tech and that you are going to have to fight that fight. But I digress. I know I go off on tangents and I'm all over the place. But my takeaways are that 
do find people that you can network in, do find people that, you know, practice diversity, inclusivity, and equity, and make sure that whenever you do things that you are acting equally equitable and that you understand those things. One of the things that I sort of described it as is be confident in who you are, understand yourself, and kind of self-actualize. It's something I say all the time, but Whenever I was applying to work at that vendor, I'll I'll tell this story really fast just to give you an idea. I'm not always as confident as I seem. When I applied at the vendor, after I did that, I got in my car and I cried for half an hour thinking I wasn't going to get it. Oh my God, this has happened to me so many times. (laughs) And I had to remind myself, that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But I still, even if I didn't get it, it's like, all right, I'm still trying. I'm still putting my best foot forward and I'm trying to believe in myself even when I have those moments when I feel pulled down. Similarly, even whenever I went into that bank and I was like, this is what I want to do. I didn't expect them to be so cool with it. I took a risk there because they could have been like, well, then why are you even applying as a teller? Like, why don't you just apply for that? But they were open to it and I took that chance. So when it makes sense, take those chances build that network, surround yourself with amazing people, like the people on this podcast, like the people on InfoSec Twitter. And there's also those other avenues of going to summits and conferences, which can be equally scary and equally helpful. So it's, and it's hard to determine. So on that note, the, I always describe tech as a, it's people-centric. It really is. So knowing people, having that confidence in yourself, having that open mind and applying those troubleshooting mindsets are some of the best takeaways I have. And they sound really general and simple, but those are the things that honestly helped me. And and just having support from your friends and your partner and, and those types of people too is like absolutely paramount. Because In the past, I had an ex that when I originally said, hey, I want to get into tech, they basically had told me, well, you're not smart enough for that. And like, it's an oversaturated market. And that would be such a mistake. And at the time, I believed them. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll just stay. I'll do what I'm doing. And then whenever I brought it to hockey, uh, you know, to the contrary, he was like, no, you're super smart. Go do like, absolutely do that. So I think those things, it all comes back to a strong community and having people to support you. Definitely. I feel like for me, I I definitely played like the, what is the worst case scenario and how can I make it worse in my head before I go and do something? And then in listening to your story, Stacey, and like listening to my friend's stories, I feel like that is so rarely the case of somebody going in and being like, no, you're too stupid. You're too dead. Like, you know, it's the majority of the time, especially in this community, I feel like And by this community, I feel like women in tech and cyber are very welcoming and supporting and also that ally community. And so like having just like the leap of faith and the courage to kind of go in, I feel like it's the hardest part. But listening to you, I feel like you're saying like, you you just got to do it and get out there because the worst case scenario rarely happens. Would that be fair to say? I will say that there is, there's a lot of problems in tech and cybersecurity and information security. but if I go back and I talked about like the fighting thing, I do see incremental improvements. I do see, especially men as allies standing up for us. I do see 
there's there, we're in a transitional period. I don't know if there will ever be an end to that transition. I hope there will. That's my my end goal is that like it will be inclusive and equitable as a whole, but it's definitely getting there. And I can see where someone might be deterred by that. And that's completely understandable because it it's overwhelming and it does suck to deal with that. But again, when it does happen, it's it's like there's so many angles I could take that. It's like it's not right. It shouldn't happen. And I'm not going to tell any way, anyone how to handle it specifically, but the way that I did was more like, I see that insecurity in you, sir, and that's not going to stop me. So good luck with that. And something else that you said towards the beginning of answering like the networking was surrounding yourself in environments that like really prize diversity and inclusion and equality. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners or tips on how to like find those communities or like good indicators that like the community actually is as welcoming as they might advertise or say they are. I feel like that's something that if you're new to this space, you might not know where to look or or how to evaluate some of those, those areas. Yeah. So, oh gosh. I don't want to go on another tangent, but (laughs) I don't know if that's too big of a loaded question, you know, like how do you basically solve the problem of diversity, you know, but I was going to say, if you're listening, join the Her Hacks podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are ways to tell, like you can tell, and I think it comes with experience a little bit where you can kind of identify when someone's just being like, performative or self-serving. One of the things that I do when I apply somewhere is I really try to look at and I scour the website. Do they have women on their board? Do they have women in management positions or people of color in those positions? Do they have different types of materials about gender diversity or, you know, maybe LGBTQ diversity? And do they mean it when they say it? Because there can be little indicators throughout where Whenever they say something specific, like when it comes to International Women's Day, it's like, we know that trans women are women. And if you're using like specific language that is very binary, for example, whenever you're referencing certain things or you're, when you're trying to exclude them from those aspects where it's like, oh, only women are allowed in this, but not trans women or like they don't, there's ways to tell that, I feel, you know, and it's like, no. Anyone that identifies as a woman or, you know, is femme presenting or however they want to present themselves should be also included. So if there's that like line of language or that sense of they're using certain terminologies that aren't inclusive, it's really easy to tell, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, during Pride Month when certain brands like change their logos to be more inclusive, but that's the only thing they do. And it's like, well, are you just doing this because this is something that you think you have to be doing or do you really mean it? I feel like that's kind of my, yeah. my barometer, yeah, you know? I definitely. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, I feel like this is like a, a controversial thing to say, but I feel like, so now Joe Rogan is like, people see him for who he is, but my ex-boyfriend listened to Joe Rogan like years ago and I unfortunately was subjected to listening to many of his podcast episodes. And I remember listening to him being like, he is so racist. Mm-hmm. He is so sexist. Like what yeah. a misogynist hating it. And it's be- and he wouldn't outright say things, but it was just like 
the terminology he used, the language that he used. And so I'm glad that everybody else is seeing that now. But like, I could just hear it and I cringe and I was like, I hate mm-hmm. this man's voice. Uh-huh. I don't want to hear him talk again. And that, yeah, that's a good, good way to put it. I know I, I can be lengthy and not succinct at times. So I'm working on that. We love everything you're saying. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I love everything you're saying. Like, I'm like, wow, everything she's saying, I resonate with. Honestly, as you were like talking about your story earlier, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish that we had been friends in college or like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the things you're saying, I just relate to. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could be more like that. And I wish I could do things like that. So, you know, I said that I um, steal a little bit of something from everybody's personalities. So I guess just keep listening to see what I steal from you. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm all for that. One of my things that I try to be, because I, you know, I've, and I'm open about this. I've been in domestic violence relationships where, you know, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. And when I got out of that, one of the things I told myself was, I want to be the person I didn't have. And I apply that to other areas too. And that's why all of these things for inclusivity and not feeling isolated and fighting this never ending or seemingly never ending battle, those things are so important to me because I know how I felt in those situations or those scenarios growing up. Again, you know, being typecasted and I was a tomboy too. And my parents like begrudgingly gave me the things I wanted, but there was always like dissent about it, you know? And I don't want anyone to feel that way. I don't want anyone to be the the the, the woman, person, boy, whoever, the they, them, their, uh, whatever gender or type of being they are to feel like they're not enough or to feel like they're not right for who they are. And I think if I had to give a takeaway, that's what I want to say is like that whole community that it doesn't matter what industry we're talking about. That's the goal. Okay. So not to bring it back to this, (laughs) but I want to be the person I didn't have literally makes me think of Liz's song Soulmate, where she's like, I'm my own soulmate. I know how to love me. Like she literally says that in her song, like you have to be, you know, the person that's your own best friend. And I love that because I think encouraging self-love helps Mm -hmm. people be more confident And then having that support system on those days that you're not so confident. Like when I go to Rebecca's apartment and I cry (laughs) on her couch, she makes me feel better and she helps me feel more confident. So yeah, I I really love that. I love that what you're saying about being there for yourself. I, I literally wrote down that line of, I want to be the person I didn't have, because I think that's just such a powerful way to say that and conveys so much in so many different meanings. And that's something that I'm definitely going to take away from this. Uh, I love, I love that. Wow. Thank you. And I do, I do have tips too, because I promise you, I, again, I feign my confidence a lot of the time. So there's this whole thing where I'm, you know, always in my own head or like being very critical. And, um, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, you're talking about your friend being supportive. Mm -hmm. So if you ever have self-doubt, and you bring, you present your own situation to yourself and practice how you would say that to your best friend if they brought it to you. Because you wouldn't be like, oh, you're so this or you're so that and you should do this. And you wouldn't act like that. 
you would try to be supportive and kind. At least I would hope, you know, like just, I mean, from a royal you sort of thing. And that's how I've been able to be more confident and kinder to myself too, is to really pretend like I'm talking to my best friend whenever I have a problem. Yeah. I just got married in December and I was having a lot of anxiety around some body image issues and just like the day in general. And I started going to therapy for it. And that was one of the the biggest things that she told me to do. And I realized that the vocabulary and just like the attitude that I had towards myself, I would never, ever use towards a good friend or really towards anybody Mm -hmm. else, honestly, because some of the things that I was thinking to myself and playing that like worst case scenario game in my head were just very, very unkind and being able to like flip that switch that that really helped me a lot and made me, you know, maybe still not a hundred percent happy where I wanted to be. I didn't feel like I met my goals, but like giving myself that grace and that understanding and just treating myself better because of it. I feel like it's so important. I hear that is was the dog's name Honey. Honey agrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She does. She was like, Amen. <laughs> All right, Stacey, it's been so fun having you on. Um, to kind of wrap things up, we always like to end with some fun questions just uh, so the listeners get to know you better. We get to know you better. And they're also really helpful for us as well. So yeah, question number one. Okay. One person, if you can tell us one person we should follow on InfoSec social media. You know, I, this is going to sound incredibly biased, but I would say my partner hockey, and I'm going to have to look at his, like the actual at thing. Cause I don't ever, it's like, it's almost like phone numbers because everyone has their own, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's Hawkman Hawk and his Twitter, like the actual, you know, name is S Hawk six, seven, zero, uh, an amazing pen tester, uh, new to the field, incredibly supportive, funny, does a lot of video game stuff, collecting. He solders, you know, does improvements to retro consoles and modifications. Really cool, really cool stuff. It's S Hawk six seven zero, and then the display name is Hawkman Hawk. Oh, okay, I found him. Followed. Hey, I already like him based on the stories that you have told us today about how supportive he was and like influential for you. Like that's already a in my book. So our next question for you is, what is one technical skill that really helped you in your career? Let's see. Oh, I don't know how to like capture this in like one thing. Cause like, I kind of always go back to that, tr- the troubleshooting mentality and it more, it always turns into like advice more than it does like a skill because it comes down to being able to understand and break down systems. And I think that also helps because of my art background. So whiteboarding, I guess, it would, would be a good way to summarize it. Because when you start to talk about systems and infrastructure, the ability to like draw things out and create visuals is incredibly helpful. Because when you talk about things like something even standard, like the OSI model, and you ask someone, how does this, how does this information get from here to there? And to be able to draw that out, like people will just... You know, it's like make it rain whenever that happens, like to be able to explain those things and and conceptualize it in a way that's easy for anyone to digest. I think that's been the technical skill that's really, really helped me. So whiteboarding, I think. 
I agree. Honestly, I think being able to take something that's really complicated and make it easily understandable to others is so important. And I think it's an underrated skill. I think it's something that's like becoming more is more appreciated in tech. I feel for like a long time, there was that stereotype of like socially awkward male can't compute, can't talk. And that was like, oh, you're a genius. You're so smart. And now people are finally realizing like, just because somebody's saying a lot of buzzwords doesn't mean they're saying anything important. And it's more valuable to be able to convey your point so everybody in the room understands than talking in a way that nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. And I'll always say this as a response to that whole like, oh, you know, nerdy guy in tech. We all know that women were the ones that started out in tech and got pushed out. So yes, yes. Oh, amazing foreshadow <laughs> to our future women in tech history episode. Cool. Speaking of which, Lauren. Yeah. So a little less technical, but what is your favorite book, TV show? So my favorite book, and this is a cheat answer, it's a comic book series. It's Saga by Image Comics. It's really, really good if you haven't heard of it. It's uh, by Brian K. Vaughn. He's the writer. And then Fiona Staples is the artist. Amazing series. I love it. It's a very cool space mm. opera oh. type story. Incredible visuals. And then my favorite TV... I don't know. I watch so many cartoons. Just like yeah. that's really so. I I really like things like Gravity Falls, Owl House. Uh, I know those were both Disney specifically, but let me think. Do you find that you gravitate more towards things with images because of your art background? Yeah, I have a huge appreciation for illustration in general. I also like Has Been Hotel and Hell the Boss. I'm like obsessed with those shows to a dizzying degree. So if you haven't heard of those either, also very awesome. Made by independent teams and Husband Hotel just got picked up and it's going to be like, I think a syndicated show now, but hell of a boss. If you ever decide to watch it, it is, it is mature. So if you're not old enough to watch it, don't do it. I'm waving my finger, but it's made by a completely independent studio. And it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, I'll have to look that up. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I'm taking all these notes on my phone right now so I can look up all these things. All right, so I have another fun question for you. What is your must-have makeup item? It is must-have, but they discontinued it. It's the Naked 2 palette, and I'm heartbroken because it was the, like, for my complexion and skin tone, it was the absolute best combination of things. And I'm really, I saw the Cyber one, and I think that one looks intriguing on that note. The OG. The Naked 2 specifically, yeah. I, I don't know what it is because it has the perfect combination of like darks and lights and glitter and there's there's so much in there. And I think that anyone of varying complexions could wear it. It just works so well for me because I'm, I don't know, I have kind of a weird undertone for my skin. It's kind of yellowy. So like I'll wear certain things and it just doesn't, and my, my face has a tendency to kind of like turn a little red sometimes too. So it works well for that. So, you know. Our friend Susie could definitely recommend a new palette if that's what you're looking for. I feel like she she's really great at making recommendations for makeup. Awesome. She got me, I have the Naked Honey palette, which I love, which she got for me because Lizzo was the one who was like repping that palette. And then also my dog's name is Honey. So I love Aww. that palette. 
I'm looking at it right now. I'm trying to like look at all of these, but I'm like, I love buying makeup. I can't wear makeup. Like I can wear it, but I can't put it on myself. And I just, I just feel like a fraud. Not, not really, but like, that's just not a skill set that I learned. And my mom never was like, here's how you should put on makeup. So I've got like Mm -hmm. eyeliner, mascara, and I'm out the door. (laughs) My mom didn't either, but I learned from YouTube actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my mom, my parents are so funny. So my mom like would always buy things and she like didn't know what she was doing. So like she'd always buy us like rated M video games because like she'd go to the store and be like, what should I buy for my kids? And these like, you know, 20 year old guys would be like, oh yeah, buy your like six year old daughter this like rated M game. My mom like had no idea. And along, along that same vein, she would like, um, like buy random stuff like at Costco. So in sixth grade, I got this like makeup set that was like a full makeup set. I'm sure it was like on like a really good like clearance deal or something, but my mom didn't realize it had eyeliner in it. And so I was like the first girl in my class to start wearing eyeliner because like my mom just like didn't know. And so I had like raccoon eyes <laughs> for like all of sixth nice. and like, seventh grade because I just like didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, you know, trying to follow the pamphlet in this little Costco thing. And then that was actually how I started watching a lot of YouTube because I would watch like makeup tutorials because I was like, oh, I want to do like smoky eye and like, you know, whatever. So I actually got really good at makeup from makeup tutorials on YouTube. I wish that I had done that. But now I'm kind of like too set in my ways. And I'm like, eh, do I really want to devote my my precious free time to learning how to do this? <laughs> at the moment, yeah, no. I've <laughs> I've watched a lot of makeup, like Bailey Sarian and some of the other ones. and. Even though I watch those, I'm still not good at it. I'm just not good at it. I like, I do okay. I shall do the true crime and makeup. And I like, I enjoyed watching those. And I like, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I get setting powder and I have BoxyCharm and I will get the stuff delivered to me. And then I'm like, what do? And I don't know how to use <laughs> half of it. And then I just fall back on, again, like mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow, and that's it. Like sometimes foundation and I like the creams and stuff, but. I wish I was better at it, but I don't want to take the time. Yeah, I have a very, like, simple everyday looks that I do because it does take a long time to, like, do your makeup. Mm -hmm. But when I have, like, date night or, like, an event or something, then I like to take an hour. It does take, like, an hour to do I love doing cat eyes. That was always the thing that I really liked doing even in high school. Like, I think... You know, like you said, the raccoon eyes, like I did a lot of things. I wore, I was in high school during like the mid, you know, early to mid 2000s. So you very thin eyebrows, very, <laughs> very dark foundation that doesn't match your skin, very dark eyes and, and things like that. It was a, it was a look. It was definitely a look. I had the, I was, was in during the very flat hair phase where like even if your hair was straight you had to straighten it every morning yes and put it over your face and like you know if you can see one eye you're doing it right (laughs) Uh uh-huh I straightened my hair every morning because I'm sure you guys saw I have the big like puffy you know wavy Mm -hmm. it's it's out of control like I always what is it princess diaries before like hair oh yeah Mia yeah 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 (laughs) yeah uh not quite that dramatic but no one told me that when you have like kind of curly or wavy hair, you're not supposed to brush it. Like mm. my mom had straight hair, so I never knew. So yeah. I just straightened it all the time. It would just puff yeah. out and, and it looked it looked like, yeah. Wow. 
Thank you so much. This was so awesome. Oh, so nice that we got to meet you. And I'm going to say that we're friends now. So. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Follow us at Her Hacks Podcast. That's a Her Hacks with an X for execute permission on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a future episode drop and leave us a star for each of our lovely hosts. That's five with an encouraging review. Click the join link in our Discord in our show notes or at herhackspodcast.com to let us know what you think about this episode and also engage with me and the other hosts. <laughs> honey, honey with the bark. She's like, action. <laughs> <laughs> honey is just ready. She's ready to kick us off. She's like, go. Go.